Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Richard Lester's Superman 3. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1983 to remember the top movies released that year. They were Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Scarface, The Outsiders, Christine, Monty Python's Life of Brian, Risky Business, Trading Places, National Lampoon's Vacation, War Games, Cujo, The Right Stuff, and Mr. Mom. From that year, we have reviewed Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. Links to those reviews are in the description below. It was a pretty fun year for movies. It looks like I've seen most, if not all, of these movies. Definitely a fun 80s time. But if you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 83, then head over to Letterboxd.com. Make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 55th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Gandhi. It should come as no surprise, the Superman franchise received enough success after the first one, and even enough hype leading into the second, that the third film was greenlit. In fact, it was announced at the 33rd Cannes Film Festival months before the second film's theatrical debut. Director Richard Donner, who shot the first one and most of the second, until it was reshot by Richard Lester, had plans to return for a third and fourth film, featuring the villain Brainiac. He planned on having his writer-slash-creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz write and direct the third film and possibly the fourth. He speaks about this in an interview on The 13th Dimension. Once Donner had been fired by the Salkins, who were producing the films, his plans for the franchise were scrapped. The Salkins decided to carry Richard Lester over from Superman 2. This time, he was able to fully execute his vision. Also, David and Leslie Newman returned to pen the script, and Ken Thorne and Giorgio Mortar returned to do their best John Williams impression. Believe it or not, Ilya Salkin wrote his own script, pitting Superman and Supergirl against Brainiac. The plot involved time traveling to the Middle Ages and the two super beings getting married. The plot does get a lot crazier than that. It was leaked online a number of years ago, so you can check it out. Unsurprisingly, while these movies were popular, they nevertheless weren't extremely profitable. Not enough, at least, to get Warner Brothers to pony up the money for Salkin's epic story. Plus, he realized he would have Supergirl in her own super solo movie, which he did just a few years later. During this time period, the budgets were getting a bit too hefty for the Salkins. This nearly caused them to sell the rights to Dino De Laurentiis, but that never happened. Speaking of money troubles, it wouldn't be a Superman movie without a lawsuit. Once the final plot was nailed down involving a duplicate Superman, the original title of the film would have been Superman vs. Superman. But the producers of Kramer vs. Kramer, which had swept the Oscars a few years prior, threatened to sue, hence the return to Roman numerals. Speaking of angry Hollywoodites, Gene Hackman, as you know from your guide to Superman 2, did not reprise his role in that film due to Donner's firing. Therefore, he clearly wasn't going to reprise his role for the rest of the franchise. Margot Kidder also publicly spoke out about the frustrating treatment of Richard Donner, which in her viewpoint caused the Salkins to diminish her part in Superman 3 to a glorified cameo, which of course the Salkins deny. And it should be noted in Ilya Salkin's original story for the film, he had Lois Lane leaving right away in the beginning of the film. So in their minds, it does seem like Margot Kidder just wasn't going to be a part of the franchise. Shockingly, Christopher Reeve, yeah, Superman himself, almost didn't return for the third installment. It was tricky enough getting him back for two, and he really wasn't all that interested in returning for three, since the production for two was somewhat of a dumpster fire, thanks to the firing of Donner. The Sulkins approached Kurt Russell, Jeff Bridges, and John Travolta, 
none of which were interested in the role, until they settled on Tony Danza, whose claim to fame at the time was his character Tony Banta on the popular TV show Taxi. Director Richard Lester obviously freaked out at this news and made many concessions, including script changes, in order to get Reeves back on board. So how did Richard Pryor come to be a focal point of the third installment? The story goes he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where he told Carson how much he enjoyed Superman 2. Pryor at the time was a big draw. The Salkins saw dollar signs and tailored the movie around him, agreeing to pay him $5 million. Years later, in his autobiography, he admitted he didn't really like the screenplay and just did the film for the money. Of course, tie-ins were a huge part of marketing and necessary in order for these movies to turn a profit. Warner Bros. announced a video game to be created by Atari for their 5200 system. Supposedly, it would mimic a Superman-slash-missile fight sequence in the movie, but the task proved too taxing for the system, so they cribbed off Missile Command instead. The game was one of the worst-received Atari games, not as bad as E.T., though. Surprisingly, a novelization was put out, written by William Kotzwinkle, but critics seemed to not have enjoyed it. It should come as no surprise the Sulkins prepared an extended version of the film, specifically for television, which aired on ABC. This cut was never produced for home video, but the scenes were made available as bonus material once the film was released on DVD. So, once Superman 3 hit theaters, what did audiences think of it? The reaction was not positive at all, let's just say that. Starting with probably the highest score across the board, a meta score of 44. Now, that's close to 50, but not close to, you know, breaking even for meta score purposes. It received generally mixed reviews. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 29% approval rating and an audience of 23% approval. So an incredibly sharp drop, just a drop off a cliff, you might say, from the previous two films. Currently on IMDb, it holds a straight 5 and a letterbox rating of 2.2. Now, these are not franchise lows, I'm sad to say. This is actually probably middle of the road for how this franchise fares, according to ratings. Of the three films released thus far, it, it was only two minutes shorter than the last, but it technically made it the shortest entry in the franchise. And as I told you at the end of last week, listeners, audiences had to wait just two days shy of two years for this film to hit theaters. So they did not really have to wait long at all, especially that two and a half plus year gap between the first and the second. The film has a reported budget of $39 million, which is quite the decline from the $55 million of the previous two installments. Opening weekend, it still was number one at the box office, a little less than last time actually, $13.3 million. It did beat out Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, which had been in theaters for a month at that point. It dethroned it actually from number one. Trading Places came in at number three, Octopussy at number four, which was number two the week prior, and War Games came in at number five. And interestingly enough, Psycho 2 was also in theaters at that time. It had been in theaters for three weeks. Now, this is very interesting. In its second week, it was pushed from number one to number two by none other than Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it came back on top to number one. In its fifth week at the box office, uh, Superman 2, excuse me, Superman 3 dropped to $9 million that week. 
that probably tells you something. People were more eager to go see Return of the Jedi and they were Superman. It got all of its fans probably opening weekend and everybody else was like, yeah, let's go see Star Wars again. Opening that weekend also was Porky's 2, the next day at number 3, and Twilight Zone the movie at number 4. The weekend after that was the long 4th of July weekend where Superman remained at number 2, and from there on out, it just descended. Ultimately, the film would go on to make $59.9 million domestically for a reported worldwide total of around $100 million. Keep in mind, this is quite a bit less than the first and a little bit less than the second. What's important to note here is the second film, which came out less than two years prior, grossed domestically $108 million. This movie didn't even crack $60 million domestically. So that $100 million is also factoring in rental fees. Uh, movie rentals had, you know, become a thing at the time. It was still in its infancy, but nevertheless, it did accumulate enough money to, you know, boost this movie's total intake, if you will. Nevertheless, we should note the last movie grossed $108 million. This one only grossed $59.9 million. That is a sharp drop and a clear indication audiences were getting very close to being done with this franchise. And we'll, we'll really see that when we cover the next two films in this series, in this time period. But nevertheless, this is uh, clearly spelling doom for the franchise. Audiences are uh, kind of getting over it. And we're going to talk about it in the review on Monday. But this movie, from what I understand, I have yet to see it, but it is, from what I know, pretty much straight up a comedy. Clearly, there's action. I guess it's an action comedy, if you can call it that. But they really wanted to go heavy into the comedy, which is no surprise considering how Lester really reshot Superman 2 in order to tailor to his comedy, you know, impulses. Thank you, listeners, for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Superman 3, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we travel to Earth with Kal-El's cousin, Supergirl. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.